many thanks, Chris and Abby, um, uh, Maggie, and um, thanks especially to Lizzie as well for joining us this morning. It's so lovely to have you with us, and it's really good to be um, together here. Um, as I mentioned last week, uh, before we get going, we're going to move from that wide-scale vision of life under the sun provided by the teacher um, to focus in on two particular and important aspects of our lives. So this week, we're going to hear what the teacher has to say about wealth. And next week, we'll be looking at the subject of health, uh, particularly as it relates to aging and dying. And both of those things are important aspects of this book, but they're also at the forefront of many of our minds at the moment. Uh, COVID aside, in terms of health, there are many amongst us who are having to reckon with the frailty of our minds and, and bodies at the moment. And in terms of wealth, well, the last couple of years have been good for some and quite bad for others. Apparently last year, the 10 richest people in the world had their wealth doubled during COVID. And at the same time, there are many, many people, including some amongst us here, who have been affected by the rise in energy prices and the, the general cost of living. Some have stable jobs and good pension schemes. Others support children or other relatives with the small salary they have. Uh, still others struggle to find employment at the moment. And so with those very real things in mind, let's pray that we'd hear the Lord's um, confronting and comforting word to each of us this morning so that we might be sustained by his wisdom through the difficulties we face, we face and, and live as one, um, the whole body of Christ. So let's pray. Lord God, as your word comes to us today, please enable us to draw near with reverence, uh, to stand in awe of you, as we heard uh, last week in Ecclesiastes, but also in confidence, in complete confidence of your love for us as your people. And so provide what we need today, we, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in his book, Destiny, David Gibson says that the main message of the book of Ecclesiastes, in a nutshell, is this. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. It's gift because there is joy in creation, though temporary and ungraspable, hebel, that's what that word means, we've, we've talked about it lots. Uh, the goods of creation are enjoyable because they point us to the permanent and unending goodness of our creator. And it's when we treat those things, when we treat the world as gain, when we try and gain the world's pleasures, making them into something they're not, that we run into trouble. And according to the teacher, that's certainly true of our money. So we're going to think about money from those two perspectives, money as gift and money as gain. It may surprise you to hear that the teacher is actually not opposed uh, to money. For him, money is a gift. Uh, just look at the way he talks about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 uh, from verse 18. Then I realized that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him 
for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. All that we have, including our money and our possessions, come from God. They are gifts. They're gifts given for at least three purposes. First, money is a gift for our sustaining. Uh, maybe it's my perfectionist tendencies, but I love finishing a project and really completing it, whether it's an Ikea piece of furniture or a Lego kit with the kids, maybe, um, or a puzzle or a book or um, a piece of writing. I get a kick out of completing something, and maybe you do too. Um, if you're employed, maybe you enjoy that Friday feeling. The working week is done, and it's the weekend. You feel lighter, happier, satisfied in the week's work and the prospect of rest. And the teacher says that there is satisfaction in that. It's part of the fabric of creation. The Lord commanded mankind, after all, to, to cultivate and fill the earth. And so when we work and earn the means to put food on the table and a roof over our heads and gain the ability to provide for others, we can and should be glad. Especially those of us who see with the eyes of faith because we see how it is ultimately God who ordains our work and provides what we need through it. So when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, look at the birds uh, in the air or the flowers of the field. The point was not that we should live passively and not work or earn money. It was rather to know where our provision comes from. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need and provides the means, including the money we have, for our sustaining. Money is a gift for our sustaining. It reminds us of God's sovereign care. Second, money is a gift for our enjoyment. Um, I recently met to chat with a, a Christian mentor of mine, and I, I shared with him how, how things were going in, in life and work and how busy I was, etc. And towards the end of the conversation, um, he obviously sensed that I was perhaps burdening myself with things beyond my power or control. And he gave me some advice. And his advice was surprising, but this is what he said. He said, Jake, you need to build in some fun. I was weighing myself down with things not mine to carry. I was taking myself too seriously, so I was sent away by my Christian mentor to have some fun. See friends, go to a rugby match, paint, whatever. Have some fun. Now you might ask, what's, what's Christian about that? Well, in some Christian circles at least, there is a big misconception that enjoyment of material things is godless and somehow that it's worldly to spend money on things that are fun and enjoyable to us you know it's particularly an issue amongst those of us employed in christian work because out of a right and noble desire to steward wisely what has been given we're hesitant about spending on ourselves 
The question is, is stewardship and enjoyment mutually exclusive? Or could it be that receiving what God has given us in thanks and enjoying the goods he provides in creation is actually an aspect of good stewardship? Does there always have to be a use for things we spend money on? Or is it enough that it simply leads to an enjoyment that gives way to praise and an adornment of, of our wonderful creator? The one who so generously gives us taste buds to appreciate a, a nice wine or a delicious curry, who gives us eyes to see a gallery full of fine art, who gives us hand to, to, hands to paint and, and make things, who gave us the ability to imagine ourselves in the world of a good book, who gave us bodies to ride bikes, swim in the sea, or walk up hills. Now, those things aren't necessary evils, neither is money. Money is not a necessary evil. It is a gift of creation from the Lord, given for our enjoyment in praise and worship of him. Perhaps that sounds surprising. Third, money is a gift for us to share. Uh, last week, we reflected on the three sets of hands in Ecclesiastes 4, 5, and 6. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. The, the two-handful image of grabbing hands is a picture of a self-loving heart because it's self-focused, self-preserving, and, and seeks self-gain. With grabbing hands, I, I cannot lift my eyes to God or outwards to other people. But the folding hands image is also a picture of a self-loving heart because people with the, the spiritual posture of folded hands neither raise their hands to God in prayer nor extend them out to help others. They're folded in on themselves. However, the one-handed grip is a picture of someone who holds loosely to life under the sun. That person is both held securely in the hand of God and puts forth the other hand in fruitful and satisfying labor. It's a picture of the two loves that we're all called to, to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbor. The point is, all things given to us in creation, including our money, are given towards that end. We can and should love God by our gratitude and enjoyment of creation. But love of God is always accompanied by love for others. Because that is who God is. Out of his love, he gives and we see his generosity in the bounty of creation. But of course, we see God's generosity most fully and radiantly in the gospel. God gives his son for our redemption. Christ gives his life for us. The Holy Spirit is given as the comforter and guarantee, uh, guarantor of salvation. Out of his goodness, God gives and gives and gives. That is who he is. And so the gospel displays something for us 
of the perfect love and life of God in all eternity. And so as we are held securely by him, how can we not but give as he does? Given out of motivation of of his love to, to love and serve others. Now, of course, everyone's financial circumstances are different. In God's providence, as part of life under the sun, that's just how things are. Some people are able to give out of great wealth. Uh, Others, like the widow outside the temple in Jerusalem, give out of the little they have. But you know, in the kingdom of God, the, the value of gifts cannot be captured on a bank sheet. In fact, in the case of the widow, Jesus said that her two little coins were worth far more than all the other gifts. And that should be a huge encouragement to each one of us. Because in different ways, and not just in terms of money, we can all give and share in God's wonderful work. There are lots of ways uh, we can do that. But it would be remiss if I didn't mention one related to our church this morning. One of the reasons in recent years we've added to the staff team is because we as a church want to give of ourselves to our God's people and to the community in our parish. We've been called to serve them. But as a result of that, as Nelly shared with us a few weeks back, we are now running a deficit. Last year, we were over budget by about 25,000 pounds, I think. This year, we're budgeted to go over by another 30,000 pounds, which will deplete our unrestricted reserves. Now, that sounds like a lot of money. But we trust that it's not too much for God. As God's people, would you prayerfully consider giving towards the ministry here? Please, not out of compulsion or in comparison to others, but out of love, as a way of sharing in God's amazing work in our parish. Money is a gift given for our sustaining, our enjoying, and our sharing. Well, next, we turn to the other perspective on money we see here in Ecclesiastes. Money as gain. Um, And similar to the last part, there are at least three ways the wrong use of money can be expressed. First, hoarding. Now, it's well known that uh, many animals hoard to survive. Moles, squirrels, some crabs uh, hoard food in times of plenty so that they can eat in times of scarcity. Um, And uh, we've already heard about blackbirds this morning, uh, and it may be folklore, but it's thought that corvids, the name given to the family of birds that includes crows and magpies and ravens and um, rooks and jays and that sort of thing, well, they like to hoard things that go beyond what they're going to eat. Apparently, they particularly like to hoard shiny objects, including pebbles and jewelry and golf balls and coins. What they do with the hoard, I, I have no idea. I'm, sure, I'm not sure we'll ever know. Presumably, they don't purchase a, a new nest in hard cash. Um, perhaps they need it to pay for their membership at the croquet club. No, I'm really sorry. Uh, <sighs> whatever the case, uh, their hoarding seems pointless. And the teacher has similar thoughts about our hoarding. So again, chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. 
this too is meaningless, Hevel. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Hoarding is harmful because it brings no good to anyone. Not the owner, who, like the crow, gathers shiny things for no real purpose except to gaze on them. Not anyone else, because the money or whatever you hoard is not put to fruitful use. Hoarding is an expression of those grabbing hands. It holds tightly onto things that don't last, not releasing them for anything or anyone. Now, that might raise a a valid and important question for you, which is, what about saving? Is saving the same as hoarding? Well, the answer is, it could be. And it might not be. The key question you need to ask about savings is this. In your saving, where is your love directed? Is your saving a means of storing up riches for yourself, like those grabbing hands? Or is your saving a means of being rich towards God and towards others? Perhaps providing for those you're responsible for, like your children. A saving can, of course, be an expression of love. That said, I love what John Chrysostom says about leaving things for your children. Uh, He says, do you want to leave... Um, your children, a good inheritance, leave them almsgiving. I.e., instead of leaving them all your wealth, show them how to give and leave them the gift of giving. Let your legacy to them be generosity. It's another way of thinking about passing things on uh, to our children. We can leave our children more than our material wealth. Second, Another aspect of money as gain is oppressing others. There is so much in Ecclesiastes, in in fact, in in all of Scripture, really, about the oppression of the poor. Uh, For instance, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 8, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice um, and rights denied, do not be disturbed at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Just part of life under the sun, life in the poor, um, the oppression of those who have little. Now, evangelical Christians rightly have a, a really strong sense of what Jesus came to bring in terms of grace and forgiveness. We are all spiritually poor, and so the thing we need most, more than anything else, is God's mercy, which he freely gives. He pays our debts, <clears throat> excuse me, and grants us the riches of his inheritance. But here's a question just to provoke our thinking. Do we emphasize defending the poor and needy 
to the same extent Jesus did. Jesus said to his disciples, for example, when you embrace the poor, you embrace me. In other words, you can't love Christ and be cold to those in need. The the Apostle Paul knew that well in his farewell address in Acts 20. He said to the Ephesian elders, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the Lord's the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, most of us probably don't commit sins of commission against the poor. That is, we don't deliberately exploit the poor for our own gain. Although, you know, there is good reason to say that gambling, for example, is exploitative, uh, because as an industry, it feasts on the poor and vulnerable. That's a discussion for another time. But what about sins of omission, of not doing what we should do to care for the needy and vulnerable? Are there any ways you and I might be indulging ourselves to the neglect of others? Are we opening our hearts to those whose physical needs are an everyday burden? In response to the generosity of God in the gospel, what might it look like to seek out and care for the vulnerable like Jesus? Who amongst us in our parish could benefit from our attention and resources? Those are just some questions to think about. But what if you're the one in material need? Uh, That can be a great burden and one I don't mean to undermine or take lightly. Um, Most of us won't know what it's like to choose between heating and putting food on the table. Well, if that's you, can I say just two things? First, don't suffer in silence. Uh, There are ways that we can help you and pray with you and love you as a member of our church family. So please do hear that message. But second, and even more significantly, I hope it's an encouragement to know that according to scripture, to be in need can be a special blessing and opportunity. You see, those who have everything find it very hard to pray, give us today our daily bread. On the other hand, the poor are blessed because they know the closeness and dependency uh, on their heavenly father for their needs. And that closeness to God, that communion with the Father, is far richer than material wealth. should be no surprise that um, some of the happiest people, happiest Christians, certainly that I know, are those without very much in the world's eyes. Well, finally, and most crucially, um, the third aspect of money as gain is idolizing. And idolizing means replacing God. This is essentially the heart of the matter, the essence of treating money as gain. Because the root of all kinds of evil is not money. It is the love of money, says the Apostle Paul. The source of so much of the destruction and grief in our society is not material. It is materialism. It's when we take the good gifts of God the ones he so generously gives to us, and we make them our gods. So 
But you know, the irony is, the more we focus on the gift, whether it's money or some kind of possession or anything under the sun, rather than the giver, the less enjoyable it actually is. As the teacher says, it will never be enough. Hence the really shocking language at the beginning of chapter 6. It would be better not to have lived than to live for the accumulation of stuff under the sun. Love of money brings misery. So here's the key question to help you and I diagnose where our love is directed today. What if you lost it all? What would you do or what would it do to you if all your wealth and possessions were stripped away? The fact is, if you are in Christ, despite what everyone else in the world lives for or says you need, you already have everything. Because not only is the security of wealth temporary and changeable, there is complete security in his grip on us. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 3 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Money is a gift given by God generously for our sustaining, for our enjoying, for our sharing, not for our hoarding or oppressing or abusing or idolizing. And so may God, in writing this perspective on our hearts, uh, give us gladness of heart, lasting joy, and complete security today and always. Amen.